we're going to have a floss contest now. Who can do the floss? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, we've got a few folks who can do that. I cannot, uh, and I will not attempt. Uh, and some are like looking at me like the floss, like I floss this morning, yes. So, well, anyway, hey, it's good to see you guys this morning. You guys okay? You guys well? All right, listen, we're going to get into to the Word today. Uh, we're going to be in, uh, we have three main texts that we're going to be in today. 2 Corinthians 13, John chapter 1, and then Colossians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians 13, John 1, and then Colossians chapter 2. And uh, by the way, in starting in July, we're going to be having, this, the whole, uh, month of July is going to be a series on the book of Colossians that we're going to delve into those four chapters and uh, pull out what the Holy Spirit will reveal. And so it's, it's going to be a, a great month in July if you are not traveling and not out of town on vacation or what have you. Uh, that's what's on, on the horizon. We, we are planning to close out a series that we started a couple of weeks ago called Trinity. As we are looking at uh, the Godhead, we believe there is one God eternally existent in, in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so what we've been doing is looking at those uh, expressions of God and the relationship to have with Him uh, through that, through, through the love of God the Father, through the saving grace of Jesus, and through the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. We have covered... God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. Today we're actually going to cover the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, is where we're going to be at today as we plan to close out this particular series. Uh, by the way, this whole series of messages are on our website, newlifechurchofjackson.org. Right on the home screen you can see them, click them, download them, and you can listen to them uh, at, at your pleasure. So, we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. Paul is closing out his second letter to the believers at Corinth. And, uh, and it's just a, uh, one of the, the founding scriptures we've been using throughout this series uh, of, of messages on the Trinity. He says this. He says, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Again, just one of the founding scriptures of, of text that we've been using. We've used other ones as we introduced this whole series a couple of weeks ago. I uh, went a little deeper in that. But this one in particular, we've just been repeating each week, uh, showing the expressions of the Trinity. May the grace of Jesus, may the love of God the Father, and may the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. In other words, to say... He, Paul's writing, may you have all of what God has to offer. May you have all of who God is in your life. How many of us can admit, man, I need more of him and less of me? In fact, that was one of Paul's prayers, less of me and more of you. Amen. It's a simple prayer, but it's a life-changing prayer. And it's one that if we say it and pray it in sincerity, God honors it. And he will, do, he be, he will begin to make those changes in our life. Let's look over in the Gospel of John chapter 1. <clears throat> John chapter 1, verse 1. says, In the beginning the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. And God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, 
and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Look over at verse 10. He, Jesus, came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. Verse 14. So the Word, Jesus, the Word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. So let's pray, and we're going to unpack this. Father God, thank you for today. Thank you for setting up this time. For us to be here, to not just check off a thing on our church list of things we're supposed to do, but a way, God, that the body comes together to encounter you and to experience you and to offer you our sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving and worship from our life. Now, as we open your word, we pray, speak to us. Holy Spirit, shine your light on your word. Help us to see it for what it can be and what it is. Your word is life and life-giving and life-changing. And I ask you to help me to bring it forth in the way it should. We honor you now and we thank you in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody can say amen and amen. So today we're, we're looking at God the Son. And a message that I've titled today is called Intimacy, or excuse me, Intimacy in the Incarnation. Intimacy in the in the incarnation. Incarnation. God came to earth in human form as Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The Word made flesh. The message use it, says it this way in John 1, 14. It says, the Word became flesh and blood and moved into our neighborhood. Moved into our neighborhood. Jesus, the Son of God, becoming flesh and blood came to this world, stepped down out of heaven and into our earth and into our world, and he makes it personal. Here's the thing about Jesus. It's always personal. You often hear people say, have you made him your personal Lord and Savior? Because it is. It's an individual decision. It's a personal relationship that God is able to have with all seven billion, or however many billion people are on this earth now. Lots of people. He is that capable of having that kind of a relationship, an intimate relationship with every single person. And he made it personal. Jesus stepped into our world. He stepped out of heaven, came into this earth to save us and to reconcile us back to God, our Father. But it doesn't just stop there. It actually begins there. Let's look at what, what we're talking about over in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. Paul writes, and he says, And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue. Everyone say continue. You must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him. Let your lives be built on him. And then your faith will grow strong in the truth that you were taught. And you will overflow with thankfulness. 
Paul's using some language there, and he's describing a relationship that begins to happen. He says, as you have accepted Christ Jesus, as he has stepped down into your earth, into your world, into your life, then he says you need to continue to follow him. Other translations take the words continue to follow him as continue your faith journey with him. Continue your faith journey with him or walk in him. And, and so Paul's likening this relationship with Jesus as a walk, as a journey of faith in him, a relationship that's ongoing. You know, it was in the beginning, in the garden, in creation, that we see God himself walking with mankind. He was walking with mankind. In other words, it was God that right off the bat in, the, in creation was showing us, hey, I want to have fellowship with you. I want to have relationship with you. I want to be in, involved in, in, in your life. I want you to know that I care about you. You know, there's something to be said about when someone goes for a walk with someone. We can all walk by ourselves and do that sort of thing, but there's something different that takes place there's a different dynamic that begins to happen when, when you walk with other people. Maybe you walk with your children. Maybe you walk with your spouse. There's this engagement. There's this interaction. And our, at our home, uh, oftentimes my girls like to go for, they call it, can we go for a walk, Dad? And what really is, is they get on their bikes is what happens. And then they get out in front of me and we start to walk. I start to walk. They begin to ride throughout the neighborhood, and so the, uh, uh, the younger ones are just really getting started and learning. I got one on training wheels and two not on training wheels, and, but just showing them the safety measures, look out for cars, stop at stop signs, wait here, wait there, look here, look there, all those different things, and so what happens on this, these journeys over the last few years, I begin to realize I'm walking behind them, watching them, pointing out, giving direction, or what have you, and, and then they'll stop, wait for me, and they'll get off their bike, and, and they'll want to walk here or walk there. there I'm, I'm getting involved in their curiosity. I'm getting involved in their imagination. And, there, and it's one thing, to, and oftentimes, sometimes, I'll just let them go out and ride in the cove and on their own. That's cool. Take a break. But then there's something to be said when, when, when you walk with someone. You have interaction. You, you have a different perception. And that's a relationship, friends. That is a relationship that God wants to have with us through Jesus Christ. And so Paul is writing with this language, hey, you've accepted him. He stepped out of heaven into, into your earth, into your life, but don't just let it stop there. Don't just get your ticket punched, so to speak, to heaven. No, continue to follow him. Let the relationship take off. Let, let the conversation begin. Let the interaction begin in your world with Christ. And that's the language that Paul is getting at, that he wants us to know him that way, just like he knows us that way. Because there is this intimacy in this incarnate one, this Christ, this Jesus, this Son of God who took on human form, stepped out of his world and into our world because of who he is and what he contains. Let's look at what he contains. What is in Christ? Look at verse 9 of Colossians 2. It says, For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. I'm read it again because it's, it's big. In Christ 
lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you are also complete through your union, through your relationship with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. So what is in Christ Jesus? The fullness of God is in Christ Jesus. In Christ lives all the fullness of God for our lives. What does that mean? That means who God is and what he has to give mankind is in Christ. And if Christ is in our life, then we have access to the fullness of God. If we want to live and breathe and know the fullness of God on earth in us, then we have to first have an openness and a continuance with Christ. That we have an acceptance of him and an openness of him, but then there must be a continuation of that relationship that fosters and develops and is cultivated as we live on this planet that Jesus is with us. And you put all of it together, you put God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and it all begins to make sense. It all begins to, the pieces begin to get put in place, and you begin to realize the expressions of God, but then the relationship that we can have with God, that it's not just one or the other, it's all three in one. And Jesus is the one who opens the door. He is the gate, and he opens it wide, and he gives us full access to who God is and what he has. So he brings, Paul's saying, look, Jesus brings the completeness of God in our life. Are there days in your life where you feel incomplete? Yeah. Are there moments in, in, in situations where you, where you feel like, man, I just don't have it all together here? I just, I just, I, I haven't, I'm not quite there yet here. Or I thought I was and then something happens and, and I begin to realize my depravity and realize my weaknesses and realize where I fall short. Yeah, but here's the thing. In a relationship, the Bible says that love covers a multitude of sins. In a relationship with love, in a relationship with the Son of God, in a relationship with Jesus, he brings the completeness that we need in our life. So without Jesus, nothing else matters. Without Jesus, nothing else can really exist. Because you read about it in John 1, and you can read about it in Colossians 1, that through Christ, God created everything, and that he actually holds all things together. So if we don't want our life to fall apart, who should we entrust it to? The one who can hold it all together. If he can hold all of creation together, if he can cause the sun to rise and set at its right time, if he can cause the moon to be in the right place at the different phases that it needs to be in, the stars to be in place, he can tell the ocean, hey, you can only come this far, and he can carve and sculpt mountains, and he can do all the different things. He can provide a tree for a bird to nest in and provide food for a squirrel and all the different animal kingdoms of this world. Surely he can take care of his beloved. And he can hold our life together. So who are you going to call? Who are you going to run to? Who are you going to entrust? Not Ghostbusters. <laughs> I know that came to, came to my mind when I said it. It's too hot to handle. It's too cold to hold. You call the Ghostbusters because they're in control. All right. I got it out of my system. Got it out. My daughter turned, my oldest daughter turned 13 this last week, 
She shares the birthday with a few others in this church. So happy birthday to all and to all a good day. But we had, she had a themed party, and part of that was it was set in the 80s. And so it was, it was an 80s night at my house on Friday night. And uh, anyway, that's all I'll say about that. So that's where that kind of comes from, what I just said about Ghostbusters. But hey, you, literally, he, Jesus, holds creation together. Man, he can hold my life together. Doesn't mean we won't ever encounter issues. Or we won't ever go through anything. Because God knows we go through stuff, right? He knows we go through stuff. Jesus, in fact, cautioned his disciples before he left. He said, hey, you're, take courage. You're going to have some trouble. But I'm not going to leave you on your own. I'm going to send the helper. The Father's going to send the helper, the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to go and I'm going to go prepare a place for you. And then when it's time, I'm going to come back for you. And I'm going to receive you to myself. So he's all aware of what we're living out on earth. But here's the great news. The good news is we don't live it out on our own. We have a friend who sticks closer than the brother. We have a Savior. We, we, we sang all about him. Oh, what a, what a name. There's something about that name. Jesus. Jesus, you say it, and it brings peace. You say it, and darkness flees. You say it, salvation comes. You say it, light shows up. You say it, and people say yes. <laughs> because that's the power in his name. That's who he is. It's real. It's a relationship. He's not some religious figurine on a shelf. He's more than that. And so that's what we're going to look at in the final few minutes we have today. We're going to look at the life of Jesus on earth. It teaches us some dynamics about intimacy in the incarnation, what that means. God in human form, the Son of God. So we're going to look at the life of Jesus and these three dynamics of how he has provided us to have intimacy with him as the Son of God, Jesus Christ. The first one is this. The first dynamic is entering another's world. Jesus came into our world so that we could have access to his world. Had he never came down from heaven to earth, we would never know what it's like to have heaven on earth or to one day leave earth and go to heaven. But Jesus made that possible. Look at this, uh, these few verses in Philippians as Paul writes, he says, you, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. He said, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave, was born as a human being. Talking about God in human form, Jesus Christ. He was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. And therefore, because he did that, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus was perfect at entering our world. He was perfect at entering our world. Born of a virgin, Mary. If he was going to save humanity, Jesus 
had to become human. <clears throat> Humanity needed someone they could identify with that could hopefully change life. And he laid aside his divine attributes. And what we begin to realize about him is he was fully 100% God, also fully 100% man. God incarnate, human flesh and blood on earth. He entered our cold, dark world. He brought life, and he brought light. And it's because he entered our world, friends, then you and I then have the opportunity we can now enter his world, which is heaven. But here's the thing. We have this, and we're going to get to this in a second, but we have this, this delicate perception, balance, belief thing about earth and about heaven. We're here, but yet we're called there. We're here and we want to go there. What do we do? We have, to rip, we have to look at the way he walked on this earth and what he did on earth as he entered our world and what entering our world accomplished for us and what it opened up for us. That it is not just for an appointed time when we die. All those who are born again believers in Christ Jesus, when, when we die, heaven is our home. Absolutely. We will go there. That will happen. But what about now? Because if it were all about just getting saved to just go on to heaven, then why not, as soon as we get saved, why don't we just leave earth? What does that tell us? That means that there is a life and there is a purpose that God has for us on this planet. And so you have this aching in your heart for heaven, but you also have this longing in your heart to finish what you came here for. And Jesus showed us that. He came here and he finished what he was here for. But let's look at what, what the writer in Hebrews 4 tells us. That it's not just for later, but what about now? He says, so then we have this great high priest who entered heaven, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold firmly to what we believe. The high priest of ours, <clears throat> he understands our weaknesses. He faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. And because of that, he says, so let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. And there we will receive mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. So on earth, we have this opportunity, this advantage, because Jesus stepped into our world. He entered our world. He opened it up for us to go directly to his throne of grace. And at his throne of grace, we receive his mercy and we receive his help in whatever time of need that we may have. That is part of the good news of God in Christ Jesus. And that's, here's the thing. That's the way God set the whole thing up. That's the way he designed it. He designed it so that we would be dependent on him. He designed it so that we would eventually call on him. And as we call on him and, and have Christ enter our world into a, a person's life by the Holy Spirit, what happens is we continue in this relationship. We start and we continue in this real relationship on earth. That we are not doing this God thing blindfolded. Although there are some days, if we, if we just got real, there are some days where we feel blindfolded. There are some days where we feel real unsure about some stuff. 
But Jesus never leaves. He never forsakes. He is with us. And so we are, God designed it so that we would be dependent on him because the reality is we cannot save ourselves. If we could save ourselves, don't you know we would have already done it? Don't you know we would have already done it? If we could save ourselves, we would have already saved ourselves. But no, we have to be dependent on the one who created us and the one who brings salvation and restoration and reconciliation in our life, and that is Jesus Christ. And so the question for us is this. Have you really let Jesus enter your world? Have you truly let him step into your life? And walk that relationship out with the grace and the mercy that he gives. If you're trying to follow Jesus on your own, out of your own strength, out of your own accord, out of your own ability, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. Why, need, why would we need the Holy Spirit? Why would we need his help? We have him. He is readily available And he lives in every born-again believer, every person who's in Christ. And Jesus entered our world, and because he entered our world, we can enter his. And as we live on this earth, we have him in our life, and that we are not alone. And he walks with us. Here's the second dynamic. Talking about intimacy in the incarnation. You guys with me? Intimacy in the incarnation. The second dynamic is this, is about holding on to yourself. Holding on to yourself because Jesus held true to himself on earth. We can discover who our true self is as we walk with Christ. We don't really know who we are unless we have Christ living and reigning in our life. We're just a pretender. We're just an imposter. We're just someone who who knows no better But when the light goes off and revelation hits and love overwhelms our heart, guess what happens? We begin to recognize and realize who we really are supposed to be and who we're called to be on this planet. And so holding to your true self. Look at this. We're going to look at Colossians 2 again, verse 9 and 10, but looking at it in the Passion Translation. A little bit different wording. It says, He, Jesus, is the complete fullness of deity living in human form. He's the complete fullness. And our own completeness is now found in Him. And we are completely filled with God as Christ's fullness overflows us, overflows within us. He is the head of every kingdom and authority in the universe. Our own completeness is now found in Jesus and we are completely filled with God as Christ's fullness is within us. Jesus held on to his true self, and he was recognized as the one who, was, who is the complete fullness of God in human form. And he stayed true to who he was. He did not, um, he did not get off path. In Hebrews 4, as we just read, said that he, he lived this life, and he went through the same testings you and I do, and he empathizes and sympathizes with our weaknesses, yet he was perfect, and he did not waver, he did not sin. And because of that, we have this great high priest that we can call on and we can get the grace and mercy we need. So therefore, it's a testament to the fact that Jesus was recognized and Paul recognizing him here, he was recognized as the completeness of God in human form. Jesus came 
to save the world. And because of that, it opens us up to who our true self is in Christ. If you ever want to know who you are in Christ, we just need to begin to really look at the, what the Bible says about those who are in Christ Jesus. We're going to look at one portion here. It's um, on down in, second, or in uh, Colossians 2, uh, verse 11. Verse 11 says, When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ Jesus from the dead. So one aspect of who we are, our true self in Christ, is we are raised to new life. What does that mean? Well, Paul writes to the Corinthians, and he tells them in 2 Corinthians 5, that anyone who is in Christ Jesus is a new creation. The old life is gone. The old life is dead. The old life has passed away and buried, and you are a brand new person. That's what happens when someone gives their life to Jesus and Jesus steps down from heaven into our earth, into our world, into our life. We are raised to a whole new life. So here's the thing. Old habits, old mentalities, perceptions, the way we look at life, the way we think about life, the way we believe certain things, they all shift, they all change. The dynamic of who we are literally begins to take on a whole new shape, a whole new form. Because the Word tells us that we are raised to new life in Jesus Christ. Because He held on to His true self, we have a new true self. And our true self, one of those aspects is we have a brand new life. I'm so glad I am not who I used to be. I'm not who I'm supposed to be in all fullness yet. But thankfully, I'm on my way. You are not who you used to be. Thank God. In Christ, we are not who we used to be. We are raised to new life, raised to a whole new life. There is a higher level of thinking. There's a higher level of maturation. There's a higher level of perception, a higher level of looking at life, a higher level of our belief system. It's not down here. It's up here. Why Paul constantly reminds us, think on things above and not below. Think on things that are up and not down. Think on things that are good and not bad, righteous and not unrighteous, pure and not impure. All of that is to tell us, hey, we have a whole new life to live. Why would we settle for anything less than that? So think about your life. Think about where you are. Think of perhaps where you used to be and where you are now. But may we not get satisfied with just staying where we are. May we not be okay with just being okay. I know for some, men, that would just be awesome. If I could just be okay, I'd be okay. But the relationship that you and I have been afforded with Christ is it develops, it grows from faith to faith, glory to glory. It jumps, it, 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 it leaks, it, it takes steps forward and not leaving us where we're at. Here's another aspect of who we are. Verse 13 says, You were dead because of your sins, and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. Second aspect of who we are, our true self, is that we are forgiven. 
we are forgiven. Everything in Christ, he forgives. Psalms tells us that as far as the east is from the west, so has he removed our transgressions from us. He has removed our sin from our life. Those who are in Christ, you are also forgiven. And as we are forgiven, we must also forgive. We can't hold people in grudges because God releases us from his. He holds not. So as we are forgiven, we must also walk in forgiveness. Here's the third aspect. I only have 29, okay? <laughs> I teased 32, actually. No. Verse 14 says, Christ canceled the record of the charges against us, took it away by nailing it to the cross, and in this way he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. This third aspect of who we are as a, our true self in Christ is we are free. We are free. We're raised to new life. We are forgiven, but we are also free. And John 8 is declared that if the Son has set you free, then you are free indeed. There is nothing like the freedom that Jesus brings to the human life. He has the ability. He has the power. He has the authority. He has the key to unlock and to unleash us into the potential that God the Father has planted on the inside of us. Jesus does that. He frees us. There is not a sin. There is not a bondage. There is not a setback. There is not a thing that Jesus can't handle, that Jesus can't conquer, that Jesus cannot liberate us from. There is a freedom in him. There is a freedom to be who you were created to be that you don't have to be an echo. You can be your own voice. You can be who you were called to be in God, but it starts and is continued with a relationship in Jesus Christ. Only he can grow it. Only he can manifest it. Only he can bring it past. And I love this part there in verse 15. He says, in this way he disarmed these spiritual rulers and authorities and he shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. In other words, he was like, the, uh, uh, the joke's on you the devil and your demons, the joke's on you. You thought you were shaming me by hanging me in humiliation on the cross? No, what was really going on was I was shaming you. I was ripping the very keys of death, hell, and the grave right out of your hands, and you didn't even realize what you were doing. So the joke is on you. The shame is actually on you, not on me. And he publicly shamed them. Publicly shamed him, and he canceled out all the charges that were ever against us. I don't know about you, but I do not like having charges against me. I got a speeding ticket back in January, and I walked around for the first week just T.O.'d at myself. I hated it. I hated it. God is delivering me from perfectionism. I am a Pathetic perfectionist. My wife said hallelujah. I think that was my wife. Yeah, yeah. Or somebody else. But it kills me to make mistakes. And I hate it when someone points out my own mistakes against me. Because I'm like, bro, I already know I screwed up. I don't need you telling me 
that I already messed up. Anyway, through some encouragement and a few slaps on the face from some friends, not literally, figuratively, they were like, dude, pay the ticket, get it over with. Just be on with life. Quit letting it take you. Quit letting it, you know, weigh you down. I'm like, yeah, good point, good point. So I paid it, and that's over with. And the moment I paid it, I felt free because the charge was dropped. It was done. It was paid for. I had to pay for it. I was asking the Lord, will you get somebody to maybe give me some money to pay for it? Because I'm a little thin on that Benjamin right now. It's like, you sped, you paid it, just deal with it, move on, it'll be all right. And I'm like, cool, all right. So I did, and I'm good. No hard feelings against the officer who pulled me over, but he did his job. I wasn't doing mine. What's my point? My point is, spiritually, eternally, Jesus canceled the charges held against you and I. Think about that. Everything. Everything. He canceled it out on the cross. He held true to himself so that we can discover our true self. A new life, forgiven man, and we're free. Question for us is, do you desire to live as your true self in Christ? Do you really desire to live that new life, that elevated life in Him? Do you desire to live forgiven and offer forgiveness? Do you desire to live free? If so, Jesus is the answer. He's the answer. And lastly, as we're going to get ready to come to the communion table here as we close out. The third dynamic is about hanging between two worlds. We're talking about intimacy and the incarnation, hanging between two worlds, hanging between heaven and earth. I read this story about a, a young girl was playing in the living room floor and her dad was sitting on in his chair reading the newspaper. And she kept, you know, tapping the newspaper, patting him on the leg, interrupting his read time or what have you. And, Finally, he was like, hey, sweetie, why won't you do this? On this newspaper is this map of the world. I'm going to tear it up in these little parts and put it on the floor. And Why don't you take some time and try to see if you can, it's like a puzzle, see if you can piece that world back, picture of that world back together. She's like, okay, Dad, I can, I can look at that, I can do that. So he went back to reading, and it wasn't but just a few minutes later, he, 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 she tapped him on the leg and said, Daddy, Daddy, I'm finished. He was like, there's just no way. You can be done with that puzzle. Man, I ripped that thing up good, and that world's jacked up, man. It's broken apart. You're, it's going to take you at least two hours to get it. No, she was done in just a few minutes, and he was like surprised. How did you finish so quickly? She's like, Daddy, Daddy, I noticed on the other side, before you ripped that picture of the world up, on the other side was a picture of Jesus on the cross. I knew that if I could just put Jesus where he belonged, the world would fit together. Jesus belongs here. And if we just get him here, if we would just let him step out of his world into ours fully, 
put our life where it needs to belong. Some of the most frustrating moments in my life is when I try to put my world right, when I don't let God put it right. Some of the most peaceful moments in my world, in my life, is when I let Jesus put my world right. When I take my hands off and I let him be where he needs to be. Right in the driver's seat. You see, on earth, as the incarnate one, he lived as fully God in perfect communion with the Father all the time. But also, on earth, as the incarnate one, he lived as fully man. He experienced suffering, pain, grief, and death. He lived hanging between two worlds, between heaven and earth. And so he knows, he knows what it feels like to be human on earth and deity in heaven. He knows. He knows what it feels like for you and me. The thing is, the world, it was not safe for Jesus to enter. It was dangerous. It was scandalous. By coming here, he invited sorrow and grief and pain into his life. He, he, he was misunderstood and all, most of the time underappreciated. Much like today. He's just misunderstood. Not appreciated for who he is. You see, it was a messy thing for Jesus. Just like our life is sometimes, it's messy. But if there's anyone who could ever step into a messy world and make it right again, it's the incarnate one. It's Jesus. I wish I could say that the Bible said our life would have no messes after Christ. And that's often a misunderstood thing with God. Why, why, am I, why does my life have some messy spots? Why do your kids spill tea five times off the coffee table, like at my house the other night? The floor gets sticky. Then you got to bend down there and wipe it up, clean up, then mop it or whatever you got to do to remove the mess. Jesus never gets tired of cleaning up our mess. That doesn't mean we have the liberty and the license to just go on and make messes. The New Testament teaches us that. But what it does teach us is that when it happens, he's there. He's not shocked by the mess that you made. Which is why, as he lived between two worlds... Because he was successful at hanging between two worlds, heaven and earth, you and I actually have the opportunity to live successful hanging between two worlds. In, with Christ in us, until we are truly consummated with him in heaven, you and I can live this world, live in this world the way he wants us to live. And he reminds us, in fact, he reminds us throughout all the Gospels, but in Matthew's Gospel, it says, when it was evening, Jesus sat down at the table with his 12 disciples. I take comfort in that because sometimes my world gets dark. Sometimes I have an evening in my life. And I just need somebody 
who will sit at the table with me. Jesus isn't afraid of the dark. He stepped down into it because he's fully light and he's fully life. And if we will just ask him to sit, he'll bring what he has that'll make it change. He says, while they were eating, he told them, he said, hey, I tell you the truth, one of you are going to betray me. He sat at a table knowing one of those jokers was going to betray him. I don't know about you, but if I knew somebody was going to betray me in a room, I wouldn't walk into that room. I would be afraid to walk into that room because I just don't want to have any part of that. But Jesus is not afraid. They all ask him, hey, is it me? Is it me? Is it me? He goes down and the the one who went on to betray him said, is it I? He said, yeah, you said it. It says, as they were eating, he took bread, he blessed it, he broke it. And he gave it to the disciples and he said, hey, take this bread eat this bread because this bread is my body and as often as you eat it do this in remembrance of me and then he took a cup of wine and he gave thanks to God for it and he gave it to them and he said each of you I want each of you to drink from this because it's personal this is my blood which confirms the new covenant between God and his people and is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many And so, Jesus, hanging between two worlds, gives us a practice of worship that we are called to do it often. Called to do it often. So as often as you take this bread that I broke for you and you eat it, you're remembering what I did for you. You're being intimate in my incarnation. You're causing yourself to become one with me and reminding yourself that you are not alone that I broke my life to make your broken life whole again and as you take the cup of the new covenant and you drink from it in our case we dip it in there dip the bread in the cup so what you're saying you're reminding yourself that it was my blood that was shed for you that you didn't have to pay the price I paid the price for you, that you have a new life, you are forgiven, and you are free. And as often as you drink from that cup, you're reminding yourself that you're not alone, that I am with you, and that I bring all the forgiveness that you'll ever need on this earth. Friends, if we can just remember that we're on a walk, we're on a journey that we need to remember that pace that he sets for each one of us not get too far ahead not lag too far behind but as he strolls with us in our world he brings what you and I need to be successful as we live hanging between earth and our ultimate destination 